learning the Sikha from Chelek Tesbav. It's Vayeshev Hey in Chelek Tesbav. And um, if you want to take a Chumash and a Rashi, that's always helpful. Um, we're beginning with a Rashi on Pasuk Yudches in Perak Lamid Ches. 38.18. And the context is the story of Tamar and Yehuda. And Yehuda turns aside to Tamar and he says, please let me be with you. The Torah says, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me for the privilege of being with me? So he said, by Yemer, I will send you a kid from the flock. To which she replied, Only I can only agree to be with you if you give me some security until you send the payment. And this is the Pasuk that we're looking at. Yehuda said to Tamar, What security shall I give you? What collateral are you looking for? Vatoimer, and she said, Chaysamcha, your signet ring, Ufsilecha, your wrap, or your coat, or your garment, or your cloak, Umatcha, and your staff, Asher biyadecha, that is in your hand. Vayitenla, and so he gave these things to her, and was with her, and she became pregnant. Now let's look at Rashi. So Rashi says, Rashi Yudches, and the words Chaysamcha Ufsilecha, Rashi says that Unclos translates these two words as Iskisach Vishayshifach. Actually, I'm seeing it with two different Nikudais. Iskisach is in one place and Iskasach is in another. Meaning, the ring that you use as a seal, and the cloak with which you cover yourself. Okay, that's the Rashi. Now we're going to begin. The Rebbe has five questions on this Rashi to begin with. And we have to understand Aleph. Why does Rashi have to offer another translation, another definition, another explanation for the word which would seem to be something that we're all familiar with, a seal or a signet? And instead of translating it as a seal or a signet, Instead, Rashi offers a translation from Onklos, which is that it's Eskasach Tabas, that it was a ring that she asked for. That's question number one. Question number two, Bez. The Chain Kasha Benegela Perish Rashi Al Psilcha. And in like fashion, we have a question about what Rashi chooses in terms of explaining the word Psilcha Al Pihatargum. He chooses to again explain it according to the Targum, Shashifach Hule, Simlascha Shatamiskasaba. Shashifach, this is a garment or a cloak. 
the garment with which you are covering yourself. Now, the Rebbe says, We have not found heretofore in Tanakh and in general that the word psil should mean a robe or a cloak. In fact, we find that the word psil means a thread or um, a cord or something like that, but never a cloak. So that's question number two. Gimel, third question. The fi Rashi And the Rebbe always taught us that Rashi is consistent and Rashi goes, he goes according to a certain way of thinking. So according to Rashi Alatayra, because the Rebbe also taught us that Rashi on the Gemara is different than Rashi Alatayra. What Rashi does in the Gemara is different. But Lefi Rashi Alatayra, Behekrach Leima, Shatebas Psil, Eina Deirashis Perish Klal. For consistency's sake, we would have to say that the word Psil does not demand any definition. Like the vast majority that determine the rule in Tanakh that Rashi does not explain. Rashi is not a dictionary. And this explains why, generally speaking, Rashi does not define the word psil where it appears elsewhere in Chomish. And so the Rebbe is just deepening the question of why is there a definition or an explanation here for the word psil? Dalit. Even if there is an imperative to explain that the definition of psil in our parsha is not the way it normally is, a thread or a string or a cord, like it is in other places, then Rashi should have at least embraced the parish of the Rashbam on this word psilcha, psilcha ezor, that in this case psilcha means a belt. Because a belt is resembles a, a string or a cord, etc. Think gartel, okay? And hey, mipne ma hutzach rashi lahaisiv laacha shehevi eslashanat targum es a hesber. And finally, why does Rashi feel compelled after importing the definition from Targum to then offer an explanation on each of these terms? Tabas shatachaisimba. He he says that it's a ring that you sign with, that you that you like offer your signet or seal with. Visimlascha and the garment shatamiskaseba that you cover yourself with. Why, why, why does Rashi feel compelled to do this? We know, again, the Rebbe taught us that there's economy of words in Rashi's perush. So every extra word necessitates an explanation. Base. Yesh mefarshim. There are those that commented and explained. That by adding these explanations, Miyashiv Rashi is a Shela, Rashi is looking to answer, to reconcile a particular question, which is, Ketzad Merumas Betevas Chaisamcho Psilcha Haperosh Iskascha Iskasach 
Tabaz, Vishoy Shifach, Simlascha. The Mepharshim say that by giving us the extra words of explanation, Rashi is looking to connect the dots between these words in the Torah and the definition that Onklos offers. Rashi, and so Rashi explains, that this is a ring with which you seal a document, with which, uh, with which you stamp your signet. And that's why the Torah doesn't say tabascha, but chaysamcha. And what about simlascha shatamiskasaba? So the Rebbe says, umaramiz bazel apostle gedilim tasilacha, which is in Devorim, isuscha asher tekasaba, that you should put gedilim, fringes, tzitzis, on the cloak with which you cover yourself. Shabai in this pasuk and devarim niskarim gedilim tzitzis upsilim, that this pasuk mentions the word gedilim, which is translated as tzitzis and string, ubekesherim kisuscha, and it correlates it with the covering, the cloak asher techasa that you cover with. Vilachin nikras gam hasimla psilcha. And so with this, the Mepharshim explained, Rashi is looking to say that that's why your cloak is called because of the tzitzis, because of the strings that are fastened onto the cloak. And through this, the Mepharshim also address a question that the Ramban raises, which is, the Ramban says, we can't possibly conjure a situation in which Yehuda would have given away his garment and would have gone naked away from, from Tamar. So how do, the, how do these Mephorshim explain it? Because they explain that we are speaking here with an additional garment an additional garment worn over the regular garment, in order to observe the mitzvah of tzitzis. But the Rebbe says, All of this just explains that, yes, there is a possibility, if you stretch it, to define the words in the Torah Chesamcha Ofisilcha Ofsilacha as Iskoscha Vishoshifach, as your signet ring and your garment. Avaloi Aleph Sheyeshne Hechrek Shal Mikra Lefarish came, but this still doesn't explain. This still doesn't posit that it's necessary to explain it this way. Veloi Kipshute Bechol Mokim. And not to explain it like would be the norm. That chaysamcha means your seal, your signet. And psilcha means your azor, your belt. So in other words, Rebbe says, yeah, if you play Twister, I could understand what the Mepharshim are saying. But this, but Rashi, it's Pshut Mikra. So what compelled Rashi to choose these definitions over the more conventional ones? And Bayes, Alpizeh, 
by embracing what the Mepharshim tell us, it only strengthens a question we still have, which is, why does the Pasuk, to begin with, use these terms, your signet and your silecha? If it's trying, if the intention here, if it's trying to convey that it's talking about a ring and a garment, why use terms that are so difficult to understand and correlate with what you're talking about? Why do that? And then you have to explain that it's a ring that you use as a signet ring. The pastor could have simply said, your ring and your cloak, your garment. These are words that are used widely in the Torah. There wouldn't have to be a Rashi. Nobody would have any question. There wouldn't have to be Mepharshim. It would all be clear. And Gimel, al And again, if you're going to embrace what the Pesukim are trying to tell us, then Lashon HaKasuv HaRaymes L'Simla HaYetzarach L'Yoyz G'dilcha. Then the Pasuk that, that was used to explain this should have been the Pasuk that we cited above from Dvarim. Rashi should have brought that down because over there it says Gedilim, and Gedilim is correlated with Psilei Tzitzis. So why not bring that down to kind of explain the connection to us? And Dalid ve'ikar adata adayin lo'ilimid ha'ben chamesh l'mikra davar oides mitzvah Tzitzis. The Mechamesh Lemikra did not learn anything about Sitzis yet. And even if you want to say that he knows that there's such a thing as Sitzis because of Rashi's Perish, and this is in Parshas Noyach, and this is in that story where Noyach's sons seek to cover him. And Rashi says that they covered him with a garment and Bnei Yisrael have talashal tzitzis. So even if you want to say that Nechamesh Mikra knows this, Harisham loy hiskir Rashi is inin psil, vitkan loy hiskir is inin tzitzis. Rashi does say talashal tzitzis over there, but he doesn't say anything that correlates with the word used in this pasuk, which is psil. And over here, where he's talking about psil, he doesn't say anything about sitis. So how is Ben Chamesh Mikra supposed to connect these two? And even if you're going to say that Rashi doesn't have to do that, because he is certainly wearing tzitzis himself, and he certainly says Kriyashma every day, in which he mentions the word psil, psil techeles, so at least bring the pasuk that uses the term gedilim, which in everybody's mind is correlated with psil, and techaseba, with, with which you, on the garment with which you cover yourself. And then that would have jogged the memory 
of Parshas Noyach, and there would have been some connection. But right now, how does Rashi really expect the Ben Chamesh Mikra to remember all this? And so why does Rashi do what he's doing, basically, is the Rebbe's question. Gimel, the Habir Bazer. And now the Rebbe is going to give us an explanation, and then we're all going to say, duh. <laughs> but without this, we would never come to this. Vahabir Bazer. Rebbe says that Rashi feels compelled to tell us that cannot possibly be the conventional seal or signet because of the larger context of this pasuk within the story. What's the story? Halichas Yehuda Latimna. Yehuda went down to Timna in order to shear his sheep. This was not a business meeting. So he had no reason to take his signet, his seal with him. And therefore, it's really difficult to explain the word in the conventional way, because it's out of context. Why would somebody take that for sheep sharing? This is a valuable thing. People don't usually take valuable things to places where it's not necessary, and especially perhaps if they have reason to believe that it could get lost, and so on and so forth. So this was a very physical activity. He went to share sheep. Why would he be taking a signet? And Beis, and why would Tamar even think that Yehuda is carrying such an object? So much so that she asks this of him, like simply speaking, and this is the first thing she thinks about. Why would you? Why would Tamar even think that he's carrying that on his person? And that would be the first thing that comes to mind as security as collateral. And this is why Rashi Mikra embraces the definition of Targum, that it's It's not a signet or a seal that um, for those of us who are old enough to remember when people used to seal things and put it on a stamp of ink and then seal a paper and so on and so forth. So it's not like that. It's rather a ring that has within it a seal and a ring is a conventional thing to have on your finger. And therefore, it's not a chiddush, it's not a novelty that he should have a ring on his finger when he goes to shear his sheep, because he would wear this ring all of the time. But here, it necessitates a little bit more explanation. Move on to it's understood simply that when Tamar sought to ask security of Yehuda, she chose his belongings that were 
two things. Aleph, Yikarim Etzloi. They were dear to him. They were precious to him. And so he'll understand very well what she's doing with this, why she chose these things, because they're not things that he's willing to forego. And they are very specific to him personally. They're not things other people are walking around with. And again, why would she choose this? Because it seems that already then she understood that she would have to use it in order to identify the man that she was with. And so she needed things that were very, very specific and identifiable with a particular gentleman and not just what everybody else was wearing. And therefore, Rashi must say, that when she asked for his seal, his signet, she was not asking simply for his ring as a pedestrian ring. Because if it's just a plain ring, that's not enough to ensure that Yehuda would feel the imperative of coming back to take it. The chain ena ishitai. It's also not distinctive enough. It's not personal enough. So both, it's not valuable enough, and it's not personal enough to use for identification purposes. Ella biksha, but rather she asked v'zoyis matkish Rashi b'hayzifoi tabash atachoysimba, but. She asked for, and this Rashi underscores, you remember one of the questions was, why does Rashi feel compelled to add words on what the Targum says? Because she, Rashi wants to underscore that it's a ring that you sign with. And because this is such a valuable seal, he will definitely definitely not leave it in the hands of an unidentified harlot. And from this is understood, And again, the Rebbe is answering one of the questions he asked. And now we understand why the Pasuk is not calling it Tabascha, but calling it Chaysamcha. Because specifically through using the word which delineates a seal, however, it is a seal, Rashi explains, that is within a ring. But if the Pasuk would have used Tabascha, that would not have meant anything but a regular ring. The word Chaysamcha means a seal. And then Rashi adds that the, that the Targum tells us this is a ring within which there is the seal. Dalet. This now that we understand the larger context and we understand what Tamar was looking for, we understand why Rashi could not simply say, like the Rashbam, that Psilcha in this Pasuk means a Ezer, means a belt. 
שכן לעזר אין כל חשיבוס, because a belt doesn't have enough importance. אוי, שייכוס אישית ליהודה, and it's also not distinctively identifiable as יהודס. ולכן מפרש רש"י שישיפך סמלוסכה. That's why Rashi uses the, the definition from, from Targum that it's your cloak. And then Rashi does not satisfy himself with importing the definition from Targum that it's a cloak. But he adds that this is not a pedestrian cloak. But rather, it's an identifiable cloak. Whenever people see this cloak, they know it's Yehudas. Hasimla sha'ata Yehuda miskaseba. This is the cloak, this is the garment, this is the robe that you, Yehuda, use to cover yourself. Kedarkam shalanashim chashuvim lilbaish begadim miyuchadim. As is the custom of the way of important people to wear a particular garment. Like we learned that Rivka had in her safekeeping the special clothing of Esav, the coveted clothing of Esav that Rashi tells us actually belonged to Nimrod. And then we have another place where it says, this is Eliezer, when he comes to find Rivka for Yitzchak, and among the things that he brought were important garments, so these are distinctive garments. These are not garments you could buy off the rack. Vigam Yehuda, and also Yehuda, because of his importance, he was the great one among the Shvatim, Lavash Simla Miyuchada. He too wore a very distinctive garment. This is not something he was going to forget. And this was not something he was going to forego. Why? Because because you cover yourself with this. This, is, this was made for you. This is a signature item. And therefore, he is sure both to come get it and also to be identified by it. Valderach, in the brackets, and the Rebbe says, we see that even the Pasuk does this. If you look back at the Pasuk, the third thing that she asked for is matcha, but it doesn't just say matcha, which would have meant your staff, but rather asher biyadecha, that is in your hand. Again, bikavana lahadgish, it is her intention to underscore, or the Pasuk wants to underscore, shetamar biksha loy makilstam. She didn't ask for any old walking stick. Ella es makloy shel Yehuda dafka asher bita es gvoras Yehuda. But rather, Yehuda's distinctive walking stick that expressed his strength. So again, we don't see this so much today, but um, in, 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 in days of yore, this was another way that an important person would comport themselves. They had like a distinctive um, walking stick and it might be very encrusted with gems made out of very precious metals, 
um, or have a lot of very intricate carvings and so on and so forth. And so the Rebbe circles back to the question of the Ramban, and he says, and for sure we've reconciled the Ramban's question, which was, How is it possible to conjure, to imagine a situation in which Yehuda actually leaves his one garment with Tamar and walks away unclothed? Because now it's clear that this was not the only thing he was wearing, Ella but rather an additional garment that he wore, which denoted his importance. Hey. And now to answer the question that was raised in the first part of the Sikha. Where in the word Pesilcha, which is the Pasuk's word, do you see any allusion to garment? So the Rebbe, this is another thing that the Rebbe taught us, that Rashi is relying on the Menchamish Lamikra to retain everything he learned from Rashi earlier on. So in the previous Parsha, Ala Pasuk Naftuli Elakim Niftalti, and this is Leah saying, that with divine bonds, I have been connected to my husband, because she now has yet another child, because of Rashi, Shetevas Psil, that the word that this Edamon Psil, Niftalti, Naftuli, Koilelas Gamashmo Shalchibur. Rashi teaches us that this word is about connection, right? Because what Leah wanted more than anything else was to solidify her connection with Yaakov. So based on what Rashi taught us in the previous parsha about the name Naftali and the Pasuk saying Naftuli Elekim Niftalti, and Rashi explains that this is a Lashon Chibor. So now, Rashi expects the Ben Chamesh Lemikra to know that a simla, a garment, that a person covers themselves, nikres psil, is also called psil. Because the clothing is close to him and is connected to him. And just like the word chaysamcha is used by the pasuk very specifically, as was explained, kach miduyekes kana lashem psilcha. And it's the same thing with the word psilcha. Umitzad oisai hatam. And for the same reason. Because betevas psil, which is lashem chibor, because by the Torah using the word psilcha from the Edaman psil, which Rashi explained has to do with connection, it explains what Tamar's intention was with her request for his garment. She was asking for a beged balchibor elav. She was asking for a garment that is connected to him, miskasaba, that he covers himself with. And also something that is distinctive to Yehuda. It's distinctive to his importance, to his prominent role as Yehuda. So with this, the Rebbe finishes answering all the questions that he asked on the Rashi. 
and why the Pasuk uses the terms that it does. Um, <clears throat> yeah. In, I don't know the end of the Sikha, but is there any, any um, explanation why he would be wearing this stuff while he was going to share sheep? I mean, the examples in Rashi that Rashi gives is not clothes that's used all the time. He hid the clothing with his mother because he wasn't wearing them. That's, that's about Asaph. I know, I know. So why would so, he be wearing this on just well, a go share, share sheep? I, I just, actually, I actually think that that the Rebbe addresses that that these were the signature items without which Yehuda never appeared. So even though he was going to do that kind of job, and maybe we could say he took off the cloak before he started to shear the sheep, or maybe he was going to oversee his staff who were shearing the sheep. I would, I would imagine. But in any case, it seems what the Rebbe is underscoring here is that she asked for the definitive aspects of his persona. Okay. It, yeah, okay, I hear that. I mean, she knew him well, so she would know if he was wearing it all the time. Right. And, and why was he willing to give these things to a strange woman? I mean, so... Look, the, this whole story is one that we really need to study for a few hours. But Alpip Shat, you know, he felt compelled to be with her. Okay. He was drawn to her. There's so much of the, the Mepharshim have to say about this on so many different levels. And uh, basically, she, <laughs> she was exacting a price, which he, which he had to pay if he wanted to be with her. So... Whether he was willing or not, this is what she asked for. These were her conditions. He tried to he tried to give her a more uh, conventional present. He said, "I'm going I'm going to send you a, a goat." <laughs> uh, but she was like, "Okay, but what are you going to give me until you send me the goat?" So from the deepest part, the wine that can be squeezed out of Teir on this Rashi. So the Rebbe takes us into a deep, deep place. Aleph. I'm sorry. The Rebbe wants to teach us about the two aspects, the two um, extremes that are referenced when you talk about, on the one hand, a tabas, a ring, and on the other hand, a chosem, a seal. Aleph. Ashamichad gisa ratzayin tamar be'i rovin zeh, loy l'shem tabas, she'en bo chashivos v'shaychos shel el Yehuda, ela l'shem a chosem. On the one hand, tamar wants, for security, this ring, not because of it being a ring, because then it wouldn't have enough importance and it wouldn't have enough distinction. But she wants it, l'shem ha'choysem. She wants it because of the seal. Sheboi nikra shel Yehuda. Because through the signet, through the seal, is recognized the ownership and the importance of Yehuda. That's on one hand. She wants the seal, not the ring. Beis u'li'idach, but on the other hand, the seal was not just a seal that was by itself, but it was part of the ring. So the Rebbe wants to underscore 
that there are two things going on here. There's the seal, but the seal is part of a ring. So there's also the ring, and we have to be attentive to both. So the Rebbe says, that this dovetails, this this idea of a ring that also has a seal is explained in Hasidus in the following way. And the inner understanding of the tabas that has a seal is connected to the larger explanation in Hasidus as to why Tamar asked for these three things specifically. And the Rebbe says, as I'm going to explain presently, below, Zion. On the Pasuk in Bereshis that we reference all the time, that Hashem finished doing all the work on the seventh day. Unbelievable Rashi Sicha on, on that on those words by Halakim Bayim Hashvi. What does it mean that Hashem finished on the seventh day? Didn't Hashem finish all of his work on the sixth day? Okay, but not for today. Isa Bemedrish. So the Medrash says on this Pasuk, Rabbanan Emre Amre, Mashal Lamelech Sha'asuloi Tabas. The the sages taught that this isn't a, this is like a king for whom was made a ring. Ma Hoysa Chasera what was the ring missing? It was missing the distinctive and specific signet or seal of the king. Kach, in the same way, what was the world missing after God created in six days? Shabbos. It was missing Shabbos. This means, that the world without Shabbos is like a ring without a seal. Shabbos is the seal for the ring. What does this mean? Tabas can be linked to the word teva, nature. The natural order of things in this world. And nature creates such a situation that it's possible to look at this world as a place that does not have a particular owner, as a place that does not belong to God, but Shabbos comes as a seal. It is a witness and it is a remembrance to the creation of the universe. And like the Chinuch teaches, that Shabbos establishes in our hearts the belief in the creation of the universe. And therefore, we know that this happens constantly, that the world is recreated every nanosecond. 
B'chol Yom Tamid, like the Altareb explains at great length. And now, let's take it one step further. So first, we have the ring as Teva and the Chaisem as Hashem, Mother Nature, Father God. Okay. Then we have it as the six days of creation versus Shabbos. And the Rebbe says, now... We're going to explain this in the names of Hashem. The two main names of Hashem. Shem Elikim Bigamatria Hateva. Famously, Hasidus teaches us all the time that the name Elikim has the same numeric value as the word Hateva, the nature. Vishem Havaya in and the shame Havaya is about transcendence. It's past, present, and future as one. It's about Hashem transcending any of the constructs of nature. So the Rebbe says, Chaisem, the signet, the seal, who hagilui the shame Havaya. That is the revelation of the shame Havaya. Kemaimer Azal, like our sages taught, Chais Meshel Kadesh Baruch Hu Emes. The seal of Hashem is truth. And it says, So the name Havaya is, is connected to the idea of Emes, which is the the seal of Hashem. And Havaya is the root of all miraculous behavior. And it's through the miraculous that the truth of Hashem is expressed. And it's clear and obvious that Hashem is higher than the world, completely higher than the world. Okay. Why? Because it teaches us that Hashem is the one that created the world, created nature, and therefore operates on a level that is beyond. So the person who, I don't know, came up with a monopoly game can easily change the rules because they're just rules of that game. And now we're going to see this more clearly and more expansively in light of what we said above about a chaisem, a seal. And, and it's important in the story of Yehuda and Tamar. It was Dafka the seal that could function as the security that Tamar was looking for. Because a ring in and of itself is not distinctive enough to recognize who the owner is. That it belongs to Yehuda. So a signet, a seal, was used like a, a signature. It's very, very distinctive. It is the identifiable feature of that person. And as said above, this is also the difference between the six days of the week and Shabbos. During the six days of creation, 
Of course, the world came into existence through the Shem Havaya, but it was a Shem Havaya as funneled through and screened by the Shem Elikim, Hanhagas Hateva, natural function. And although its existence came into being from the shame Havaya, Havaya is Miloshon Mahave, bringing, vivifying. But it's the way in which the shame Havaya illuminates and works through the agency of Elikim. Aval but on Shabbos, on Shabbos, there's an additional aspect that is added, and that is the signet of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is MS, MS that Hashem is the truth existence of this world forever. So on Shabbos, the Shem Havaya, not as funneled through and not as screened by the Shem Elikim, but the Shem Havaya for itself is brought down into this world. There's a whole different effulence of, of, of Hashem in the world on Shabbos. And a fourth layer is the difference between the seal and the ring when you're talking about the spheres. Chaisem, whose sphere is Hayisoid. Chaisem is the sphere of Yisoid foundation. Vitabas Malchus. And a ring is correlated with the sphere of Malchus sovereignty. And Malchus is the root of nature. And the root of all miraculous um, overtures is in Za, in Zer Ampin. And Yesoid represents all those Midas before it, all the spheres before it. Ches. Kimivor le'il, as has been explained above, kishem shachosim ena metzios nefredes la'atzmoi, just like in Yehuda's case, the signet was not separate from the ring. There is a possibility for a chosim that's just a signet, that's just a seal, but not in this case. In this case, it was a signet, a seal found within a ring. And therefore, it was through the signet, the seal, that it was it was recognizable that the ring also belonged to Yehuda. In like fashion, Shabbos, which is the chaisem, which is about the miraculous, is not something separate from the six days of creation from Bria. But rather, it's the seventh day after the sixth. In other words, 
It's connected to the six. It's not, for instance, like Hasidus teaches about the eighth day. Eighth day is completely transcendence. Seventh day is still part of the set. It's the seventh day that comes after six days. There's a connection. And just like the signet ring makes the ring what the ring is, so too does Shabbos effectuate the completion of creation within creation, not transcending creation. And like the Chazal that we cited before, what was the world missing? Not what was the Abishta missing? What was the world missing? What was Bria missing? Behind this means that the completion of nature itself is when you bring into Teva what is higher than Teva. So you bring in the Shem Havaya, which is higher than the Oilam, into the Oilam. The signet ring is much more valuable. The signet, I'm sorry, the seal is much more valuable than the ring. But in Yehuda's case, it wasn't separate. The signet was in the ring. Shabbos is in the world. Not separate from it. The chain who Hashem, and the same thing we have to learn how to take this chaysamcha, this tabas that has a chaysem, and learn in our avodas Hashem. Avodas Hashem yesh bezayfanim. In avodas Hashem, there are two modalities: aleph avoda al pitam vadas, asher al yada mamshichim or lekishu beerachabria. There's a Vedas Hashem that is in accordance with logic, with Seichel. And through this, we can bring down a celestial light that is um, relative to creation. It's relative to creation. But then, Bayes, there's a second modality, There is an Aved of Mesiris Nefesh that is higher than, than logic. And through this kind of avoida, you bring a celestial light that is higher, that transcends Bria creation. This comes to expression through the miraculous. And the completion of the avoida shall be tamvadas, that is in accordance with logic. The shlemos, the fruition of our work that we do within logic only comes to be through it being infused and pervaded with Messias Nefesh that is higher than Tam Vadas. I'm sure that we can all relate to this, that sometimes we do something and we're like, this is crazy. Like now I'm really crazy. Not, I mean, our lives are by default crazy. Okay. And then we say to ourselves, okay, now, now I'm really being crazy. But that's how I understand this, that the things we do within our normal constructs, our normal, I don't know, schedule, the things that we're expected to do are only made complete by the things we do that take a measure of Messias Nefesh, that take a measure of 
craziness, like things that, no, we're not necessarily expected to do that, but we're going to go that extra bit. We're going to do it. And that brings our avoid that the Tamva does to fruition. Tess. So the above explanations in the previous two parts of the Sikha, where the Rebbe explains Alpi Chasidus, Chosem, and Tabas, which is the connection of the miraculous and the natural, the Sphira of Yisoid, which is the last one of Zah, and Malchus, Kashor Imhatama Pnimi Lazer, Shatomar Biksha Gimul Dvorim Elu. And this is all connected, like the Rebbe had already kind of given us a heads up earlier, with the deeper understanding of why Tamar asked for these three things specifically. Chaisamcha, Ufsilecha, Umatcha Sher Biadach. Isa Bisforim, it's written in books, Shatomar Hibachinas Malchus. Tamar. Is is in your malchus. Belachim biksha gimel dvarim elu chesamcha psilecho matcha meacha shahim kenege gimel spheres. She asked for these three things, and she asked for the things that are the three lowest spheres of za chesamcha, which is yisoit, psilecha, which is netzach, and matcha, which is hoit. Ubaze and through asking for these three things, biksha lifoil chibor bein spheres elu shalemayla mehamalchus and spheres hamalchus. Again, the same idea. She sought to effectuate a connection between malchus and the three spheres that are right above malchus. Ubaloshen chasidus chasidus calls this binyan hamalchus, building the sovereignty. Vilachen aliyde maisi Yehuda v'tamar. And therefore, what happened through this interlude between Yehuda and Tamar? Noilat Peretz. Peretz was born. Shehuah Mokr, the Malchus based of it, Ad Mashiach. Peretz is the source from which comes all sovereignty. The Malchus are based of it. And we know the Mashiach is ben David. V'hainu, this means, She'inyem binin ha-Malchus, She'iyeh b'shleimusay lo'asid lo'avay, Hitzchil mi-Yehuda v'Tamar. It means that the final binyan hamalchus, the, the building of Hashem's sovereignty, the, 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 the exquisitely complete calibration of all the aspects of elokus with this world, in this world, in the higher world, that will all come to a head, lost love with Mashiach, Hitzchil Yehuda v'Tamar, it started now with Yehuda and Tamar. We might say, the Rebbe says, And we might say that this is the innermost meaning of why Rashi says, is your ring with ha- which has the signet in it. Because the, the combination of seal and ring, as was said above, is the bringing together of the spheres of Yisoyed and Malchus, the nymphs, and we find and we find that this idea of bringing together Yisoyed and Malchus, Chosem and Tabas, who conforms to the Yehud of Tamar. 
it's so connected to the general story of Yehud and Tamar, Binyan Hamalchus, Hamshachas Bechinas Achoisem, bringing down the Yisoid, Betoich Bechinas Hatabas in Malchus, bringing down Nes in Teva, bringing down Shabbos into the six days, bringing down Mesiris Nefesh into the regular humdrum Avaita. And the Fizeh Yesh Levaer. See if you would, and in accordance with this, we might explain as divri rabbi senu bali hatayisvays al chaysamcha what the bali tayisvays said about the word chaysamcha she Yehuda kitcha es tamar betabas bechaysam shenasan la that through Yehuda giving Tamar his signet ring he was mekadesh her v'zeu gam mokar aminak she mekadesh betabas. And this is also the source of the minag that a man is Makadish a woman with a ring. Because it could also be a turnip. As long as you know what, what it's worth, it could be anything. But for thousands of years, it's been a ring. It would seem we have to understand. What is the specific connection between a ring and Kedushin? For which reason, it has been the minhag constantly and in uninterrupted fashion, except for in, in, in the concentration camps, to be Mekadesh, a woman with a ring, dafka. It could be anything, anything that's shava pruta, that's worth a penny. V'chein. Mizeh sh'atoy merab mezes, as inin ha-kidushin betabas. But, through this, that the Torah alludes to the ending of Kedushin with a ring, B'Kedusha Yehuda V'Tamar, in the Kedushin of Yehuda and Tamar, Dafka, through a ring, move on Sheyeshna Shaychaz B'Neim B'Teichnam. It's understood that there is a conceptual connection between marriage and a ring. V'Habir B'Zeh, an explanation is, Yedua, it's known, Shagilui Koyach Ha'ein Soif B'Oilam Hazeh Hu B'Inyin Hanisuin. It's known, Hasidus teaches, that the revelation of infinity in this world is expressed through marriage. Because what's marriage? Binyan ade ad, an everlasting edifice. Ain't safe, something without an end. And a ring alludes to this idea of infinity. And again, a signet ring, the choysem and the tabas is this idea of the miraculous within the natural. On one hand, what could be more natural than two people getting married? And on the other hand, what could be more miraculous? What could allude more clearly to infinity? And here again, you have the signet within the ring. You have the ain soif, you have infinity in oilam, in finitude, in this world. The kivan shabinin amalchus hamiti vasholim, hachibor de ain soif in oilam, nice viteva yesoid, za with malchus, shiela asid lavai. And because the pinnacle of binin amalchus, the fruition, the climax, the zenith, the truth will of, of the connection between the infinite and the world, the miraculous and the natural, 
za the 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 Yesoid, which is the last of the of of the, of the first six of the emotive midas, and Malchus kingship, and because all of this started with the kedushin of Yehuda and Tamar, therefore every couple, every Jewish couple, gets married using this particular agent, the ring, which harkens back to the beginning of this whole project of Binyan HaMalchus that we're all engaged in now. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. If it bothered anybody, I kind of want to preempt it. And if it didn't bother you, then just ignore what I'm going to say. So um, earlier in, in if Zion, Rebbe correlates um, he correlates Shabbos with Indian Dines, right? And the Sheshis may Bereshis with Teva. Okay. Then at the very end, he says, Then he says that this also dovetailed with the difference between chaisim and tabas vis-a-vis the spheres, the chaisim is spheres yisoid, and tabas is malchus. And then the Rebbe says, Bahari spheres ha-malchus, he has tivis. So earlier the Rebbe said that Shabbos is about ness. But now he's saying that tabas is malchus, and spheres ha-malchus is about teva. So if this is bothering anybody, then very, very succinctly, the answer is that there's Malchus and there's Primius HaMalchus, also known as Keser. So Malchus is both Teva, but then it's also Keser, which is higher than everything and the beginning of Ness. So it's, it's the same way that Shabbos is the funnel through which everything of the week culminates and climaxes with it. But at the same time, Shabbos, all the days of the next week are blessed by her. So it's the way in which Malchus becomes Keser. The Chetzainius of Malchus and the Primius of Malchus both are being referenced here. I just want to take care of that in case that was confusing. Okay. Um, now, let's have some fun. Like to say, so this is this is your prompt. (laughs) She, I mean, she must have, she was a remarkable woman. Her brilliance is unbelievable, and her Miserus Nefesh is unbelievable. I don't know if she knew all this or it just came to, I, but the brilliance here is unbelievable, and she's willing to die for it. And she knows she's going to die, that she has a chance of dying for it. Because she wants something that are specifically his so she can prove who's the other party. And she does it so humbly without naming him, right? So she goes on Messir Snefesh because she wants to be the mother of Mashiach, of David, right? She wants the line to come from her. What I find so fascinating, it is so remarkably fascinating, is that Mashiach is going to come, has Nobody's going to know. Pesach Hadas, Mashiach is going to come unawares, okay? 
So the interesting thing is that when it comes to Mashiach, the women not only knew what they were, they planned it. And the men were totally unaware. It is such an amazing thing. You look here, Tamar and Yehuda, she planned it. Yehuda is totally unaware. When it comes to Light and his daughters, she's totally aware what she's doing. Lot is unaware. And you have Moab with a line of Rus. When you come to Rachel and Leah, the mother of Yehuda, Rachel gives everything up, knows Rachel, they plan it. Rachel plans the whole thing and to, to, to bring Yehuda into the world. When you come to, to, to Boaz and Rus, Boaz is totally unaware, finds Rus at his feet, right? And she and Naomi totally planned it. When it comes to David's mother, Yishai is caught unawares and she totally plans it. And it is so interesting that to bring Mashiach in this world, it's all through trickery. You have to sort of fool the subtle. But the women know exactly what they're doing. The men are caught totally unaware. They have no idea what's going on. Even you can say, maybe other than Chava, but I'm not going there. It is just an amazing thing. And you got to wonder, what's the feminine role in bringing Mashiach? I mean, on the bigger picture, we're all women. We're the wife of Abishtha. So who is unaware here? And who's planning this? But if you go through the history of this, it's so remarkable how planned out it was on the time from the women and how the men were caught so unaware. And it just, it, it, I don't know, I find it absolutely mind-boggling the role of that women have in bringing Mashiach. Thank you, Esther. As always, you take the whole thing and you you elevate and uh, our, our understanding and, and you concretize it at the same time. Um, there's a question in the chat. Can you please elaborate on why Tamar is Malchus and Yehuda is Yisoit? Um, so I have to admit that I need help with this from anybody online. It's not something I studied in depth, but I would just say to begin with at least um, that in general, Malchus is correlated with the feminine. And why Yehuda is Yisoid is is the um, the basis is the um, foundation because from Yehuda will come all sovereignty from Yehuda will come Mashiach ben David um, so I think that that's like a very quick understanding not not comprehensive at all but that's the first thing that comes to mind if that's helpful but if oh. Esther or anybody else wants to add oh, it's masculine yeah. Zoe is also masculine, so that would be Yehuda, and she's feminine. She's so you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that on the one hand, Zoe, the six middas, masculine, the six days of creation are masculine. Malchus is feminine. On the other hand, you have the deeper part where this is Shabbos. The holy, this is more, um, the, no, I should say that, that it's interesting that Malchus is, um, on the one hand, it's Ness, on the other hand, it's also, Malchus is also Earth. Heva, that, that's, Earth. yeah, that's, that's what the Heva speaks to both, right. both sides right. of it. So it's amazing seeing in Chassidus, you cannot say that masculine is strictly masculine and feminine is strictly feminine. Masculine has feminine in it and feminine has, you will always mix 
it goes both ways. So you can't say this is better than this and that is better than that because there's always that mixture, that constant pull and back and forth, which is relationship actually. I, I don't know how this happened to me that I forgot this morning. Uh, I usually announce in whose schos we're learning. Um, so today is, uh, it's Erev Yutes Kislev. And let's all together ask the Ebeshter to give a refor shlema to Mendel Ben Leia, who's a young shliach that is going to be operated on at 12 o'clock today. So if people could please have him in mind, with Perak Yud and Perak Chaf at 12 o'clock. Mendel Ben Lea should have a Rafur Shalema. Henya Bas Bracha Devarlea should have a Rafur Shalema. Ba'ifin Nisi, Lamaila Minhateva, in Teva, and it should be immediately now. And a Rafur Shalema for Yesav Yitzhak Ben Sima Chasya. And um, our classmate, Joni, um, has been speaking to us about planning a meetup. On Monday, um, after Chav Bey Shvat, I'm going to take a look. Joni, could you unmute yourself to give us a date? I might and, um, it's February 13th, Monday. Um, and we're trying to plan something for, for like an evening, not late. Um, by now, most people know their travel plans and if you're going to be there or not. So we have about eight or nine women. One woman wanted it during the day, but everybody else wanted it at night. So... And it's also for people who are local to Crown Heights, not just people who are traveling in. It's for everybody in the class. Right. I'm not even going to be at the Kinnis, clearly, but whatever. But oh, I just got um, a message from Leah Wilhelm that Rabbi Wilhelm said that they're happy to, you know, help with the funding for the get together. For the funding? Whoa. Okay, never- that's wonderful. <laughs> Whoa. You would give money. She writes, he said he would give money towards it as far as the location. How many people are you thinking? Um, she thinks that the week of the kinnis, the shulchan office might be a little too booked. Maybe there's someone with a large house in Crown Heights. Lots of people have big houses. I've been to plenty of events in people's houses. But it's after the kinnis. The kinnis is over. Uh, well, just Monday, remind me the date. I'm sorry. It's Monday. It's the kinnis is finished Monday lunchtime. Right. So the kin- the, the shulchan office does have a fabring in there. Um, during the kinos, or they may have not, they may not have it even there anymore because it it outgrew their facility. It's not such a great room. It's like long and narrow. But it, I know, but I think it'd be perfect for us. I mean, I don't think we're going to have that many people. I mean, it'd be nice if we had fifty people, but I don't know that we will. 